I'm your host, Chris Gast, RLM's Director of Communication and Education. Our feature today is the Supreme Court decision in Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstedt. But first, let's go over uh, two stories from the uh, last two weeks, uh, and then we'll spend plenty of time talking about that Supreme Court decision. Michigan Attorney General Bill Schutte announced charges against abortionist Michael Roth. Uh, Roth is an abortionist on the east side of the state and has uh, had some trouble. His clinics had been closed recently. In the past, he had been charged with performing at-home abortions. Uh, if you remember several months ago, he had accidentally hit someone with his car, and that's when police uh, searched his vehicle. The cops in his car discovered human tissue of some sort, and drugs, uh, the kind of drugs you might use if you were performing at-home abortions. He was also charged with identity theft. The evidence shows that what might have happened is Roth was working out of an abortion clinic in 2014, December 2014, and uh, during that time, a particular clinic in the east side of the state, there was a large amount of the drug fentanyl stolen from his office. And so uh, what it appears to be is that Roth stole uh, these drugs used to to perform an abortion. Fentanyl is a painkiller. And he was performing at-home abortions. He got caught, and uh, now he's facing charges. Uh, Just another example of an abortion industry that does not respect the rule of law. The second news story I wanted to cover is right along those lines. Uh, WWMT, uh, West Side of the State, was reporting that Battle Creek uh, Police found a woman who died several days after she had an abortion. There's not a lot of details. The investigation's just starting. They haven't ruled out uh, foul play, although they said that there was not really evidence that that had happened. Um, she'd gone to the hospital following the abortion. We're not sure where she had the abortion. Again, we don't know a lot of the details, but uh, the fact is she had an abortion recently and this woman has died. According to her grandmother, the woman has a one-year-old son. So it may be a case of something completely unrelated to the abortion. Uh, I think just think it's really important to point out, though, that when women have died in the past in Michigan of abortions, and I know we mentioned this recently, they don't show up in the state report. And the Supreme Court case we're going to be talking about in a second Part of the evidence that the justices used, um, writing for the majority, was that, well, the evidence shows that abortion is not really a dangerous procedure, but they're using evidence that's not really accurate. And so we'll follow the story, and we'll let you know as soon as we know more. Um, But if it is indeed the fact that she died after an abortion, don't be surprised if it doesn't show up in the state report, because the abortion industry doesn't report women who get injured. Not necessarily because um, they don't, they're lying about it, but simply they don't know about it. Unlike the common talking point you hear that abortion is supposed to be between a woman and her doctor, a woman goes to the abortionist, she has the abortion, and she is gone. They don't follow up. They have no interest in her long-term care. It's not her doctor performing the abortion. 
it's almost like uh, fast food. You're in, you're out. Um, women who've had abortions have said that they haven't even talked. Uh, some, you know, many women stories we've heard, the women don't even talk to the abortionist. The abortionist just comes in, does procedure, and he's out to the next room to do another procedure, uh, maximizing profit. The more women you perform abortions on, the more money you get. Okay, let's move on to this Supreme Court decision. Uh, it was on Monday, June 27th, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down the decision in Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstedt. The decision was 5-3. The opinion was written by Justice Stephen Breyer. Uh, the dissenting justices were Alito, Thomas, and <laughs> I was going to say Scalia out of uh, just a matter of habit, but unfortunately... He wasn't here, and he may not have uh, it may not have mattered in the decision because it was five to three. Um, but the third dissenting justice was the chief of the Supreme Court, uh, John Roberts. Well, the opinion kind of went as you might expect it might would be uh, it would be written, it being Stephen Breyer, based on the 1992 Casey decision, uh, which said that some abortion clinic regulations are fine as long as they don't create an undue burden on a woman's right to have an abortion. Well, Justice Breyer found that the Supreme Court, uh, that, excuse me, that the Texas regulations on abortion clinics were creating an undue burden. Some of the evidence that he used to look at it, uh, again, as I mentioned, were from abortion-friendly organizations, uh, using statistics that aren't really accurate, pointing out how safe abortion is. He also looked at evidence that abortion clinics had closed in Texas um, after Texas passed the law, simply because most abortion clinics in Texas weren't meeting standards. Um, and what were these kind of standards? Uh, one was that doctors had to get admitting privileges at local hospitals, uh, and the second was that these abortion clinics needed to be regulated as ambulatory surgical centers, so they needed to have uh, specific regulations on how their surgery rooms are handled, things like how wide the clinic has to be, um, about having scrub sinks uh, available uh, for matters of hygiene, and a lot of abortion clinics weren't able to meet that. Uh, some were, obviously, not every abortion clinic was closed in Texas, but a lot of them went wanted to go to court arguing, well, you know, these regulations are unfair. Let me read a line from the majority's opinion regarding the unfair standards, as they might say. Um, they recognized that um, some of the clinics had closed, that women would have to drive farther to have an abortions. And uh, the majority opinion said, quote, We recognize that increased driving distances do not always constitute an undue burden, but here those increases are but one additional burden which, when taken together with others that the closings brought about, and when viewed in light of the virtual absence of any health benefit, again, here, these are my words, uh, not looking at the best evidence, but that's the conclusion they reached. Uh, back to the quote. These all lead us, uh, those all led us to conclude that the record adequately supports the district court's undue burden conclusion. So what is an undue burden? Well, uh, kind of like what you saw there, it's whatever the court decides. If you have to drive 40 miles to get an abortion, maybe that's not an undue burden. But if you have to drive 41 miles to get an abortion, maybe now that's an undue burden. 
or this regulation keeps uh, the abortion clinics relatively clean, but keeping them a little bit cleaner or requiring the doctor to go through these extra steps is now the difference between a, a due burden uh, that's necessary for women's health and an undue burden. Um, really, as it is with these Supreme Court cases on abortion, uh, when it's a pro-abortion uh, ruling, it's kind of whatever the five justices or, or more decide that they're going to do. And I thought that was particularly highlighted well by the dissents, which uh, we'll go into. There was one dissent uh, by Alito that they all joined, uh, the three, Roberts and Thomas joined, and then Clarence Thomas had a separate dissent. And so let's go over those really quick. In Alito's dissent, um, he mentioned that the he mentioned the Gosnell case, which is really got what got the ball rolling on these recent uh, state laws regarding abortion clinic regulations. I could go in, you know, again to the Gosnell case, but I'm sure most of you are probably familiar. Um, you can go in and look them up online if you aren't. Look at the grand jury report in uh, Kermit Gosnell's clinic in Philadelphia. It was horrible. Alito wrote that uh, if Pennsylvania had had such a requirement in force, talking about Texas, the Gosnell facility may have been shut down before his crimes. And if there was any similarly unsafe facilities in Texas, HB2, the long question, was clearly intended to put them out of business. His dissent also uh, accepted the logic a little bit of the majority that if a woman can't find an abortion clinic near her, it's an undue burden. Um, but it said that the majority really didn't have enough evidence that these other abortion clinics that remained open and were complying with the new health and safety regulations could handle these extra women now going to those clinics. He also mentioned um, the law in Texas included a severability clause, and what that is is sometimes when laws are passed, there's a little clause that says, if any part of this is struck down as unconstitutional, the rest of it should stand. Um, and, you know, courts aren't necessarily bound to follow that, but courts generally do, um, trying to be as hands-off as possible and respect the will of the legislature, uh, you know, the people's representatives and the people who voted them in there. In this case, though, the court struck the whole thing down, every single regulation. So even a regulation that it's really hard for anyone to argue against, for example, keeping the clinic hallways wide enough for stretchers to fit through, which, if you remember the Gosnell case, a woman uh, at his clinic died and Gosnell was convicted of basically homicide of her because the EMTs were unable to navigate her stretcher through his clinic in time. Uh, something like that isn't even allowed to stand because the court struck down all of it, uh, kind of ignoring the fact that they put a severability clause in there. Justice Thomas's dissent uh, really gets to what I think is the heart of the matter, uh, the fact that pro-abortion justices will bend legal principles or completely ignore them if it suits their purposes in order to rule in favor of abortion. Um, in his case here, he's kind of partially quoting uh, Antonin Scalia from an earlier decision. Uh, Thomas wrote, Today the court strikes down two, statutory, two state statutory provisions in all of their applications at the behest of abortion clinics and doctors. That decision exemplifies the court's troubling tendency, quote, to bend the rules when any effort to limit abortion or even to speak in opposition to abortion is at issue, unquote. And I, I think you have to see that as true. 
Uh, the partial birth abortion case, which is where that Scalia quote comes from in 2000, uh, Stenberg versus Carhartt, is a perfect example, uh, which the Supreme Court later uh, thankfully convinced Anthony Kennedy to rule against partial birth abortion. Um, in Gonzalez versus Carhartt, a couple of years later, and now we have partial birth abortion bans all over the country, which a vast majority of people support. Um, I used to have a friend in high school. Um, I even talked with about this once, and he he denied he's supportive of abortion. He denied the fact that something like partial birth abortion could even exist. He thought it was made up as some co some sort of bizarre talking point that pro-lifers had come up with. That's how barbaric it is that even the most hardcore pro-abortion supporters couldn't even believe that such a thing would exist. If you want to know a little bit more about the legal principles involved, uh, a little bit more analysis on the opinions, uh, there's been a lot written about it, so go ahead out there and find it. I encourage you to do that. I think the real question for Michigan is what about our abortion clinic regulations? If you remember a couple of years ago, we passed our own. Uh, we call it the bus bill, the Pro-Life Omnibus Act. And in it, we required abortion clinics in the state uh, kind of similar to Texas, to be regulated as outpatient surgical facilities. If you look at our law, there's a couple key differences between us and Texas um, that leads us to believe that uh, if challenged in court, which Planned Parenthood suggested they might do, that ours would stand. Uh, the first point is in Michigan, we don't require abortion doctors to have admitting privileges at hospitals. Instead, we require them to have transfer agreements, uh, not an onerous, uh, as onerous a regulation on them, but still provide some sort of continuum of care, uh, continuum of care for women who experience botched abortions. Uh, another important distinction is um, if you look at how Texas regulations were before they passed this law, um, those closely resemble what we have in place now in Michigan. And before we included these abortion clinic regulations in Michigan, um, before a lot of the clinics in the state were not inspected, uh, basically had almost no regulatory oversight. And we documented this in 2012 in our abortion clinic uh, regulation uh, report. We looked in-depth at all the things that we could find, many, many violations across the state, and uh, how the regulatory agencies in Michigan had failed in their oversight duty. Uh, we documented it very well. And the best example of that was the uh, Dirty Muskegon Clinic that was closed. And that was in 2012. I think it was just a week or two before our uh, pro-life omnibus law was signed into law. And the Muskegon Clinic was, was horrible. Uh, you could see pictures of it. There was rust on the machines. Ceiling tiles were fall were falling in. Uh, everything was in a general state of filth. I think we mentioned it in an earlier podcast uh, how you wouldn't want to have a veterinary uh, clinic operate in this manner. And, and so if abortion clinics, uh, Planned Parenthood wants to challenge these regulations in court, they really need to ask themselves, do you want to go back to that Muskegon Clinic? Is that really the face of the abortion industry that you want to put out there. Uh, if you really care about women's health, are you going to let and enable these filthy abortion clinics to operate in the state of Michigan again? And so we'll see what they do. 
Okay, that's all we have for this additional life beat. Join us again for our next episode in two weeks. We're going to go more in depth to that abortion clinic abuses report I discussed. We're going to look at just how bad the situation was in Michigan before we updated our abortion clinic regulations. Thanks so much for listening today, and have a great weekend.